Okay, this is Paul Starvin today on the 75th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today is my special guest. I have Dave Softy Mahler. Dave is a longtime sports radio host at Seattle's KJR AM 950. I got uh, Softy in an interviewee seat today. Before I go further with this interview, I want to recognize the engineer today, Lucius Tenebris. Lucius does a lot of stuff at Rainier Avenue Radio. We have a lot of sports shows at Rainier Avenue Radio, lifestyle shows, political shows, a lot going there. Going on here, go to RainerAvenueRadio.world. My sports and stuff show has been around now since 2017. You can listen to my interviews on on website, on my website and uh, Mixcloud, and the uh, Rainer Avenue Radio website. Softy, let me get back to you for a minute. Dave grew up in the Seattle area in Bellevue. He's been at Seattle's KGR Radio now since about 1994. I believe Dave's been a full-time host since about 98. He's a visible and prominent voice in the Pacific Northwest sports scene. Uh, Softy has over 86,000 Twitter followers. He's been called to serve as a national sports host before. Um, I've known you casually for many years, Softy. Um, I got a question for you. Is there any listener or fan of yours you like to kid more than yours truly, Paul Schneiderman? No, because every time I see you, and I've probably uh, over the last two decades or so bumped into you, I don't know, 50, 60 times, and every time I see you, you always introduce yourself as if we've never met. Uh, hi, Dave. I'm Paul Schneiderman. Uh, every single time. So I could see you tomorrow at a grocery store or wherever, and you would say, hi, Dave, Paul Schneiderman, every single time. So it's kind of become uh, our little thing, you know, but uh, listen, I do appreciate that because at some point in time, my memory is going to go and it's going a little bit already. I mean, I'm 46 years old for God's sake. So I'm not 19 years old anymore. So I could use a little help. I mean, there's a lot of times where you meet somebody you're with your wife or your girlfriend, whatever, a buddy, and somebody comes up to introduce themselves and uh, they assume that you know who they are and you have no idea. So uh, the, the fact that you actually say your name if that day ever comes where I forget your name, uh, I'm going to need that, man. So I appreciate that. Love it. Well, our station director, Tony Benton, who was at KGR with you for many years, he thinks it's absolutely hilarious. He always tips me and says, hello, Paul Schneiderman. So, but I, I, a little yeah. defense I get sucked about. A couple of times I still owe to you, you're, you're, you seemed a little bit, you know, we both are kind of Jewish ABV guys. You, you seemed a little maybe you didn't know who I was a couple of times. So I got to give you a little defense on that. But, uh, Softy, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate you doing this, and um, no problem. We're gonna have we're gonna have fun uh, getting into some subjects. It's fun to get to an in interviewee's chair today, and I appreciate you coming on sports and stuff. Well, Safi, let me start with it with a first question. This is a question I asked Dave Sims recently, and I asked Dave Crosby. Um, Dave answered Floyd Merriweather to this question. Dave, I'm sorry, yeah, Crosby answered Floyd Merriweather. Dave Sims answered Sandy Koufax. Who is a living sports figure you have not interviewed that you would love to interview? Oh, God, there's a lot of them I haven't had the chance to interview. A, a living sports figure. I've never interviewed Tiger Woods uh, at all. I, I, I would love to talk to Tiger Woods. I mean, to me, I think that Tiger Woods is the – he's the Babe Ruth. He's the Muhammad Ali. He's the Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle of our generation. I, I just don't think there's an athlete that has changed his sport and change society more so than Tiger Woods. So if I had a chance to talk to anybody right now, I would love to sit down and, and chat with Tiger Woods because his story, man, is, is really unbelievable. I mean, you think about, first of all, how many driving ranges, how many golf courses have opened up across the country, across the world because of Tiger Woods. I mean, I got involved in the game of golf really 
because of Tiger Woods, you know, working in radio, working in media, you, you kind of have to be uh, a golf fan because everybody else is for crying out loud and going out and playing golf with the guys and deals get cut with advertisers on golf courses, Paul, as you know. So um, I was inspired by that, but I was also inspired by Tiger Woods. And, you know, like growing up watching Michael Jordan play, he always inspired you to go out and shoot hoops in your driveway after you were done watching the Bulls play. Well, you know, Tiger Woods has inspired millions of people after they get done watching him play in a tournament uh, to go to the driving range. So the way that he's no changed the sport, you know, the way that he's made it, you know, as diverse as it's become, uh, his, his story going from a villain, you know, a guy who got caught up in a lot of weird and sometimes nasty stuff and to have a comeback the way he did, uh, he would be the guy that I'd want to talk to for sure. Great answer. Great answer. I love to add Tiger Woods to that uh, answer of the question I've had for a few years, you and your kid your college. Dave, I know that back in the early 2000s, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you almost left Seattle to accept the position in Miami. I think Mitch, you and Mitch Levy had an offer to, to move to Miami. Now, I want you to put on your alternative history hat. If you went to Miami right. and took that position, where do you think your career would have landed? Do you think you could end up back, would have ended up back in Seattle? Put on an alternative history hat for a minute. Yeah, you're talking about Mitch? You're talking about me? Talk about you, because you almost went to Miami, apparently. I, and I'm just curious to know if you've ever thought about what would have happened to your career if you accepted that position. Yeah, I was – so I was not uh, – the Miami thing, uh, that was more bitch. I got offered a shot to go to Fox Sports Radio in the year 2000, and their offices were in Los Angeles. But, yeah, I mean, your point okay. is well taken. It was Yeah, it was basically uh, leaving KJR was the gist of the story, I mean, whether it was in Miami or L.A. or what. Uh, leaving KJR was, uh, was the gist of it. So, you know, what happened is, in, you know, the year 2000 – um, I'm about to get married, uh, you know, for the first time. And I've been divorced, by the way, since then. So I'm about to get married in November of 2000. And Tom Lee, who was our old program director, is uh, launching Fox Sports Radio for the first time in Los Angeles. And basically, I had agreed to go down there and do the show and, uh, you know, do the station with him and uh, go on the air. I think I was going to do the show before JT the Brick. So where would my career have gone? I have no idea. I mean, you know, national radio is obviously a lot different animal than local radio. There's not as big a connection with the audience and the fan base on national radio as there is on local radio. And, uh, you know, really the money involved, I mean, unless you're Jim Rome or Dan Patrick or, you know, somebody of that ilk, uh, sometimes there's more money to be made locally than there is nationally. So when you're on the air on national radio, unless you're one of those guys that we talked about with a gigantic following, most of the time you're only heard on smaller market stations that need, uh, you know, the programming during the day. Or if you're on a major market station, you're on the air in the middle of the night, you know, during the graveyard shift. Um, so I think I made the right call. You know, they were kind of messing around with my schedule and wanting me to start postponing things in my personal life to get down there early and launch the station, and it just didn't feel right. So here I am, you know, 20 years later, and I uh, I think I made the right call, but right, you never know. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating uh, offer you had, and, and I think you gave me and the listeners some insights about those kind of national radio positions. You probably would have lost a little of your – your connection to University of Washington if you took that position, huh? Oh, I think I would have lost a huge connection to Washington. And honestly, Paul, I'm glad that you brought that up because my favorite thing about being in this business uh, outside of the people I meet, and I've met a ton of them, some of my best friends in the world or people I've met through 
my job, but my favorite thing is, is just being able to cover Washington, whether it's football, basketball, or whatever. And I don't know why that is. I mean, I grew up a gigantic Husky fan. So, you know, getting to be involved with them as closely as I am behind the scenes has been obviously, for lack of a better term, kind of a dream come true. But I also grew up a big Seahawks fan, a big Mariner fan, all that stuff. And uh, for some reason, I've just got more passion. You know, I, I, I have a lot of passion for the Seahawks and Mariners, but a ton for Washington football and for the university. So my favorite thing that I get to do in this job is my association or just even being able to work alongside people over at UW. And as you may know, we got the rights back to Washington football and basketball uh, starting this July uh, after a little bit of a hiatus. So, you know, we had them for a while. They took off and went over to Como and now they're coming back to KJR. So kind of hoping that this pandemic will settle down a bit. We can have football in the fall, at least basketball in the winter, but fired up to have KJR and the Huskies back together again. No doubt about it. Uh, Paul Steinman, host of sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Ray with longtime Seattle KJR sports radio host Dave Softy Mahler. Dave, um, I'm not going to talk all about the pandemic in this interview because there's lots of other stuff I want to hit on. But I, I, I feel it would almost be intellectually dishonest of me not to bring up the pandemic for at least, at least yeah. a little bit of our conversation. How, how do you see sports radio changing in general? as a result of the pandemic. Any insights you can share with us, Saki? Uh, let's see. The entire sports radio industry, yeah. I mean, I think there's a chance that some stations out there like ours that are live and local from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. at night, I mean, they certainly may not be able to pull that off uh, in the next year or so. You know, more radio stations may pick up some national programming to kind of fill in the gaps. You know, they may go with a – a national show and the, you know, the 10 to noon hours or the 10 to three hours, or maybe even a national show in the morning hours. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how many radio stations can be, you know, stay local all day long. The way ours is number one, uh, travel budgets for radio stations, obviously advertising for radio stations, obviously is one major factor. Uh, salaries may get cut when it's all said and done, you know, look, man, I mean, we, uh, we obviously have lost advertisers because of all this. Uh, we've got advertisers that have been with us for years that simply put had to walk away. Anybody relying on advertisers who have people walk through their doors for business like car dealerships, restaurants, golf courses, bars, places like that are really hurting right now. So, you know, we did lose some revenue. There's no question about that. There are some people out there that obviously have taken advantage of this, like landscapers. You know, my guys over at Hendrikas Organics, obviously, who do organic fertilizer for lawns and things like that. Uh, this is a great time to be involved in a business like that because they can get out and work and have no problem with social distancing. But, you know, yeah, we've lost a boatload of money, man. Our advertising revenue is way down, uh, you know, compared to where it was a year ago. So are we going to have the money to send guys on the road? Are we going to have the money to pay uh, you know, a lineup to keep it local all day long, or do you have to trim the budget and start picking up some national syndication uh, to kind of fill in the blank? I mean, all those things are potentially up in the air. A lot of effects, a lot of effects. Well, I wish you and your station were the best, and uh, I think many, many industries are going to be going through a lot of transitions uh, due to the pandemic. Paul Sharman again on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Safi Mahler. Dave, I've been listening to you for so many years, and you've always had a sense of humor with your interviews and also very informative sports conversations. A little fun sarcasm as well. And I think that's, I think that's some of the reasons I mentioned is why you've been so successful. And most interviews are, it's, they're always fun because it seems like you're just having a fun smooth fest. 
with, with somebody. But I remember one interview you did back in 2008 with Seattle Mayor Greg Nichols after he accepted the buyout. Yeah. But the Sonics go. Was that the testiest interview you think you ever did, Safi? You know, we've had some interviews where it gets kind of contentious. There's no question about it. But, you know, the problem with that Sonic story, as you know, Paul, is it was just so personal for all of us. Uh, not just me, but everybody at the radio station. You know, n- I mean, number one, losing them obviously affects our livelihood. And then number two, you're talking about a team that was here for 41 years and was obviously a big part of the DNA of the community. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I just thought that Greg and everybody else involved with the city council, the county council, they just kind of bent over and took it, you know, from Clay Bennett and uh, and the NBA and those guys. And the idea that they could be so naive to sit there and think, well, the best way for us to get a team back is to play ball with these guys and let them leave. I mean, here we are 12 years later. You know, I would just ask Greg, how'd that work out for you, pal? You know, how'd that, how, how'd that agreement with David Stern and the NBA work out for you? You know, you have a entity, you have a product like that in your city. You do not let it go because they are valuable. There's only 30 of them around the entire world. The NFL, 32 teams, baseball, 30 teams. You do not allow a unique product like that to leave your town unless you have absolutely no choice. So I just think that the naive nature of a guy like Greg Nichols and even looking up on stage that day, Paul, and watching some of the city council people laughing as if this wasn't right. a big deal. I'm telling you right now, if I was at that press conference, I would have been arrested. And it's a good thing I wasn't at that press conference. I was doing the 10 o'clock show back in the day. So I was actually on the air when that whole thing went down, when Gene Godden was sitting there laughing like a schoolgirl, like something funny had just happened. So I just think the lack of respect for the Sonics as an entity, for what they meant for the community – uh, what they meant for diversity in our town. Uh, some of the comments by idiots like Nick Lakata about the lack of cultural value, it just drove me up a wall. So, yeah, that day when we had Greg Nichols on the air, I just think that there was somebody out there who had to let Greg know that, hey, look, there's a giant uh, segment of your population in Seattle that you were turning on, and at the very least we were able to let him know that before he uh, left office. Yeah, I just remember that interview, Dave, and I didn't see you do it, but I could just tell there wasn't a twinkle in your eye during that interview, and you're obviously very fired up. I think you, your yeah. sentiments reflect the sentiments of many Seattle fans. Uh, what was the interview you did where you were told who the guest was going to be, and you weren't unenthusiastic, but you're like, all right, I'll interview this person, but you went in not that pumped up, but ended up being like a real heck of an interview. You went, wow, I really learned a lot. Yeah. Can you mention an interview or two you did where yeah. you went in not that enthusiastic, you came out like, wow, I really learned a lot from this person? Yeah, you know, it, 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 it's funny that we've done so many of them over the years that you kind of forget, you know, the ones that kind of stood out like that because they just blend in with everything else, but I do remember one time we were at the Detlef Shrimp Golf Tournament out there at McCormick Woods in Port Orchard, and uh, we had a producer on site, obviously, but, you know, there's guys coming by right and left, and he brings over this big, tall, white guy, probably about seven foot one, about 275 pounds, and I'm on the air live, so he sits down next to me on the radio show, and literally, I'm, uh, Paul, I swear to God, as, as the guy sat down and I'm getting ready to give him the headset to put him on the air, I have no idea who he is. No idea. I mean, it could be anybody, right? It could be Jim McElvain, could be Steve Scheffler, could be whoever. And I look, I mean, I know who those guys are, obviously, but there's a lot of guys that have played basketball, a lot of big, tall, white guys in the NBA. I don't know all of them by face and name. So this guy sits down, 
And I'm literally seconds away from uh, from telling the guy on the air, you know, I got to apologize, but I have no idea who you are. <laughs> and that would have been embarrassing as hell. But my producer somehow, some way was able to slip me a note and say, it's, it's Joe Klein. So Joe Klein, who was a part of that, I believe, 85 draft when the Knicks got Patrick yeah. Ewing and the Sonics got the X-Man, uh, he was the guy that sat down next to me. So we were able to kind of, you know, talk a little bit about that draft and the frozen envelope theory and how much controversy there was with Ewing and what would have happened if the Sonics would have ended up with Patrick Ewing. You know, Dick and I were on there yesterday just talking about that, that if they had won that draft lottery, which was 35 years ago yesterday, by the way, if you can believe it, uh, the Sonics would have ended up with Tom Chambers, Patrick Ewing, Nate McMillan, Dale Ellis all playing together. Who knows? They may have won a couple championships with that team. So we talked about that a little bit. But uh, it's funny because I went from literally seconds, Paul, I'm telling you, seconds, not 10 seconds, like one or two seconds away from asking him who the hell he was to having a pretty fun conversation. I, I love that answer. Joe Klein, yeah, he had a good NBA career, had a good run, and not, not just an example, but he did, where, wow, this guy's really interested. He didn't really know who he was a minute before. He's got a lot of great stuff. There. I had no idea. That's, that's a yep. fun answer. Sanji, you're, you're a big Seahawks fan. And hey, by the way, I'm who's coughing in the background? Is that Lucius coughing in the background there? It, it might be Lucius. I don't want to blame him. So Tell Lucius uh, to turn his mic off crying out loud. Come on, man. Let's go. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Sanji, yeah. so I want to mention some Marshawn Lynch facts here. 29th all-time in NFL rushing, over 10,000 yeah. yards now. 17 running backs in the hall of West Yards and Marshawn. Eighth all-time in playoff rushing yardage. Fourth all-time in playoff rushing touchdowns. Two Super Bowl appearances. 2010, 2010's all-decade running back. So here's my question for you. My question is, will Marshawn eventually get in the Hall of Fame? But as part of this yeah. question, do you think Marshawn coming back in 2020 and or 2021 will help or hurt his Hall of Fame chances? Yeah. You know, I think in the end, it's kind of irrelevant, to be honest with you. You know, I mean, football is just so much about stats and, and impact while you were out there. I mean, you know, for example, look at Terrell Davis, right? I mean, Terrell Davis doesn't have the greatest counting numbers overall as far as career numbers, touchdowns, yards, the whole thing. But he had those great two or three years where he was an absolute monster for the Broncos running for over 2000 yards winning back-to-back -back Super Bowls that that little window in time was good enough to get Terrell Davis into the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I think I think Marshawn being on the all-decade team, honestly, Paul, is a big thing for him. Uh, a lot of things like that sometimes put voters over the edge. So Marshawn making the all-decade team, being one of the running backs on that team, uh, being acknowledged as one of the great running backs of the last 10 years, I think as long as you are – basically the face of an era at your position, I think you have a great shot at the Hall of Fame. So, yeah, I mean, Marshawn may not have the overall great numbers, you know, that put him in the top four or five in the in you know, the major categories, but I think the fact that he was the face of a position over an entire era in some ways um, is going to be, in the end, good enough one day to get him into the Hall of Fame. I don't think he'll be first ballot, but I think he'll make it at some point. And as far as playing for the Seahawks, you know, look, I, I don't think so, man. I think the only reason why Marshawn Lynch was in a Seahawks uniform last year is because the running back situation had reached DEFCON 1, right, with the injuries, with Chris Carson, Rashad Penny going down. I mean, keep in mind what it took a year ago to get Marshawn back. It took a major emergency at running back to get Marshawn back out of retirement. So 
unless the Seahawks feel that they're in that position right now, which I don't think they feel like they are, you know, especially with Carson and DJ Dallas, the rookie from Miami, and Penny will come back at some point. He's not going to be here in September, but he'll come back at some point. I don't think the Seahawks are ready yet to break the glass and bring Marshawn Lynch back unless there's a major emergency like there was a year ago. Well, we'll have to see what happens there. But overall, you don't think Marshawn coming back for the year or so will have much effect in his long-term Hall of Fame chances, though. Is that your overall No, thing? no, no, I don't. I really don't. You know, no, I think I think overall, I mean, look, I mean, he actually had – he actually played pretty well for the Seahawks a year ago. I mean, the guy had four touchdowns, for God's sakes, in, in three games, right, with Seattle, two playoff games in the Niner game, and only averaged about two and a half yards a carry. But I think there were some moments where people saw that Marshawn – could still play so you know yeah i look i mean willie mays went and played for the mets at the end of his career obviously it was terrible you know that that didn't and didn't hurt you know him any and obviously willie is in a different category than a marshawn lynch i'm not trying to say that he, he, he he's not sure. but no i just i don't think marshawn coming back i mean if anything it'll just increase the overall numbers you know boost up his touchdowns boost up his total yards and and he'll uh you know he'll find a way to get in at some point we got a few minutes left. Paul Schneider, sports and stuff on Ringer Avenue, Ringer with Dave Sakumar. I'm going to do an interview in a unique way that I don't know the exact timeline that's left. But let me try to get a couple of questions in. Saki, looking back, what's a question you did not ask in an interview that you wished you asked? Maybe you got cold feet, or maybe you just didn't think it was the right timing. Can you think of a question you wish you asked a guest you never asked? You know, not really, to be honest with you. I mean, there's a couple of minor things I know here and there where I w- would have said, you know, I wish I would have followed up on this or maybe asked something like that. But nothing major, to be honest with you, you know. I mean, I think if I ever had a chance to, uh, you know, interview a guy like a Howard Schultz, I would want to ask him flat out, you know, did you put the team up for sale? Did you, did you make phone calls? Did you let people know behind the scenes? Uh, that the team was for sale? Did you do everything you could to find a local buyer? Um, you know, if I could interview some of the referees from Game 7 of the 93 Conference Finals, Sonic Suns, I would want to ask why the Suns took twice as many free throws as the Sonics did in Game 7, questions like that. But, you know, outside sure. of little things like that, you know, um, you know, I would ask, uh, you know, Paul Tagliabue why he allowed a back judge from Pittsburgh to work Super Bowl 40 with the Seahawks and Steelers. He was the guy that called that push off on Daryl Jackson in the back of the end zone that nullified that touchdown. So, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of guys I would love to talk to and ask questions of. But as far as guys I've had on the air where I've really been kicking myself for not asking a question or not following up on something, minor things, but nothing, thank God, really major. And trust me, if I do make a mistake like that, my audience lets me hear it immediately. You get you get most of the questions in. You'd be a good deposition take for Stop if you want to put the yeah, questions. Yeah. Um, exactly. Stoppy, do you see um, the Pac-12 conference right now, do you see that being just temporarily down, or do you see this as a long-term problem in the 2020s? Well, unless if USC doesn't finish, or excuse me, turn around and clean up its act, then this could be a long-term problem for the Pac-12 for sure, because as much as we hate to say it, the Pac-12 needs USC to be good. I mean, it's the number one market, it's the number one team, and it's the team with the most history, you know? I mean, they, they absolutely need USC to be great. You know, you think of a, you know, of a, of a conference like the SEC, and hey, I mean, Alabama obviously is leading the charge right now, but they've still got Florida. They've got LSU. They've got Auburn. 
Uh, they've got Ole Miss. They've got some teams with history that can step up and take their spot. Uh, the Pac-12, yeah, has Washington. Yeah, they have Oregon. Yeah, they have Stanford. But they're not on that kind of level overall as far as national recognition the way the SEC is. I mean, USC in some ways is the one brand that really stands out above the rest when it comes to the rest of the country in this conference. So, yeah, I think, I think if, the, if the problems at USC continue and they don't hire the right guy to replace Clay Helton or if Clay Helton doesn't turn things around himself, I think the Pac-12 could be in trouble. I mean, there's people talking about the Pac-12 merging with the Big 12 and UW leaving Washington State behind and doing their own thing. So, you know, you wonder how this virus affects everything, you know, as well, Paul, down the road. But uh, I think it's kind of a fork on the road right now for the Pac-12, and I'm curious to see which way they go, to be honest with you. A lot going on there, and I, I heard you and Dick the other day talk about the idea of Wazoo dropping out of the Pac-12. I personally don't like it, but let's that, just see what happens with that. Yeah, so, okay, have yeah and you know what? That uh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, and and that that wouldn't be so much Wazoo dropping out as it would be just the rest of the conference moving on without them. We're talking about you know USC, uh, Stanford, UW, Oregon, Arizona State, maybe one more team, maybe Colorado. Uh, you know, potentially just moving on. Maybe UCLA goes and they leave Oregon State and they leave Cal and they leave Washington State behind. And teams like Wazoo are kind of left to fend for themselves and maybe join a, a group of five conference with a team like a Boise State or a BYU and kind of do their own thing. So, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually disagree with Dick. I think as a Husky fan, I'd be a little bit, a little bit sad to leave Wazoo behind. I mean, yeah, it's been fun heard. beating them every single year in the Apple Cup, but to not have the Apple Cup, you know, be for the Pac-12 North Championship as it's been in the last couple of years, I think in some ways would be kind of a bummer. I agree. I think it would be really unfortunate. A great regional rivalry. Salty, we've got about 30 seconds left. I want you to put on your prediction hat. Will the NBA return yeah. to Seattle in the 2020 decade? Uh, yes, it will. No question about it. You know, I think we're probably three or four years away. And honestly, I think the virus and the pandemic actually kind of helped our case in a weird kind of a way. The NBA is losing a ton of money right now, Paul. As you know, uh, owners are losing a ton of ad revenue, ticket revenue. What's the one way for owners to raise billion dollars right away by selling the rights to an expansion franchise, okay? So I think the odds of the NBA expanding actually today may be better than they were before the pandemic hit. Great point, Plus, sports business experts say the same. Softy, really appreciate coming on sports and stuff on Rainy Rab Radio. I will see you very soon. Hello, Paul Sullivan. Yeah, anytime, and uh, just make sure you introduce yourself next time I see you because I forgot your name already. Softy, you're great. We'll be in touch. Okay, man, see you. Bye.